You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Gonic Literature, and tonight I want to talk about probably one of the most interesting pieces of actual literature that appeared basically in the Gaonic period, but is it Gaonic literature? Many, many editions of it, um, many different printings and manuscripts. There seems to be a tshuva from a Raftzemach Gaon. Now, um, what is that tshuva about? It's a response to the appearance in North Africa, in Karawon, a city we've talked about often in this program, of a traveler, a traveler who was a storyteller, a traveler who told the story of Jewish history that was missing. And that was Eldad Hadani. Eldad, coming from the, from the tribe of Don. Well, we all know that Don, of course, is the tribe of Shimshon. Don, of course, also has Oliov, the um, attendant to Betzalel. Um But probably the most eloquent and famous person from supposedly Shevet Don is this Eldod. Was, who was he? Well, if you look at the book in front of you that you can see here, Eldad Adoni, they say he's a Chocham Kadmon. Now, this is an edition from the 1890s, um, from Sigit, as you can see. And you can see that this was a book that was um, printed many, many times, very well loved, because it told a, a romantic story of a traveler who told the story of where did the ten tribes end up? Where are they? What's going on with them? Um, where's the Gaon in the story? Well, in many of the editions of the Eldad Hadani book, you will see in the end a question that was sent from the community, um, this Eldad has somehow telling us things about the tribes that are have been lost in the land that's called the land of Chavila. And where is it? It's in Ethiopia. The tshuva begins with, the question begins with who he is. And they mentioned that this man has shown up and he has a story. A lot of uh, descriptions of how great Rav Tzemach is, and he's the one to help us because we want to know. No deal, Adonai, we need to tell you. This man has showed up. And he told us that there's four tribes, four of the lost tribes of Israel are in one place. Who are they? Don, Naphtali, God, and Osher. The tribes that represent the Shvachot, the maidservants. Vasher Shom, 
Hamokam Chaviva Hakaduma. This term, the place of Chaviva, that's mentioned in Sefer Bereishis, that place of that's where it is. Asher Shomazov, it says, the gold is over there. Like the Pasuk in the, about the four Nahores. And they have a leader who has incredible power. His name is Avdin. And according to Eldad, he is able to have power of Bezdin. Don Ba'arba Misa's Bezdin. And what are they? Yoshvim ba'olim, v'nosim mimokom mimokom, v'nochomim mimchamishas malchei kosh. That those four tribes are, uh, they travel from place to place, and they're in constant battle. They formed a federation of four of these four tribes, and they are in constant battle with the indigenous Kushites. And and they have to be very careful because five of the kings surround them from their backs, and two of them are on their, on their sides, and they're always fighting. They have their leaders. They aren't just fighters, these tribes. And they have the whole mikra. They have all of all, most of what we call Tanakh, but they do not read the Megillah. Why? Because they feel no connection to that miracle of Purim. They also, even though they have, they know about Eicha, they don't read it. Because they don't want to be depressed. But they don't really know the Talmud. The Talmud, they don't know. When they say over halachos that are not in the Torah, they say things over from Yehoshua. And many of their laws, they say, we've got this from Yeshua, from Moshe. First split of in Malchus David v'Yisrael, Shevadon did not want to get involved in the split between Yehuda and Yisrael. Yeruvam, who came from Shevet Ephraim, um, was urged to use the Donites, who, according to Eldod, were always known as the most ferocious people in battle. But they refused. And somehow they escaped from what could have been, what was basically a, a civil war type of situation. And most of the people of Don, according to Eldod, had left already right after the death of Shlomo, the time Rechav and Yeruvim, they went they, they didn't go back to Mitzrayim because Mitzrayim, uh, their Nesim told them they're not supposed to go back to Mitzrayim. They didn't want to go to Edom because the Pusik says you're not supposed to, you're supposed to leave Edom alone. So they ended up going to Kush. And that supposedly is the story of how Jews came to Ethiopia. The other three tribes, God, Usher, and um, uh, Naftali coming to uh, Kush as well only in the time of Sancheirev and they joined their brethren Don that's the history what, some of the history <laughs> that Eldad gives up he also talks about where the other Shvatim are um, and he also mentions the fact that 
that there is a a fantastic river that is not even a river, uh, a normal river. It's not a normal river at all. It's not of water. It's it flows with dirt and and um, stones and other pieces of of the landscape, and it flows for six days, and on Shabbos it stops. And the name of that river is the Nahar Sambation. That's the Sambation, the famous Sambation River. Um, and because of that, they don't cross that river. Now, it seems like Eldad is willing to cross it, but most of the people from Kush will not cross that river. Not even on a weekday, because that's over the Sambation. That's the, that, that somehow indicates from God the sign that this is where they should live. Although they are hoping for the uh, reuniting of all the tribes together. Remember, this is happening in, 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 in the eight, ninth century. They are hearing the story from Eldad. Eldad also tells them about halachos. Eldad brings to them all these halachos of shechita, of various halachos about how to shecht, what's considered apostle shechita, what's allowed, what's not allowed. They have cholada. All of these, uh, which is about uh, pushing down the knife uh, or allowing the knife to get lost in the fur of the animal. They have many of what we know from tradition is the way kosher slaughtering needs to happen. So Eldad confirms that that is the way that they have been doing things. Rabbeinu Yeshua Lamosha Rabbeinu. It was all traditions that they felt had come to them from the time of Yeshua. So if you find its ribs are broken and other things that are considered uh, a trait for the animal. Now, what is it? What what is it that the what is Renu? What you heard from him, Sipruvanu Chachamim. We've heard that too. He's been here too. He hasn't just been in Karawan. He's also been here in Iraq, and we've heard of, about him from Rav Yitzchak and Rav Simcha. They saw him, and they heard about him, and they were they also felt that many things he said were strange. Some of those things jived with the Chachamim. And some of them didn't. For example, many things he said back up our rabbis. One of the things was about, uh, we've heard also about what happened to Don. We also heard from our traditions, according to Ritzemach, that how the Levium refused to sing for their captors and actually uh, mutilated their thumbs in order not to uh, be able to use their harps. That's, that drives with our tradition, Tzemach said.
another thing he mentions, although we don't necessarily do this today, that they still impose capital punishment. Now, it's interesting, Rav Tzemach says, that he mentions Chenek. The Torah never mentions Chenek. The Torah mentions Skiwa and Sreifa, and it mentions the sword, but it never really uses the word Chenek. It never talks about the idea of being choked to death. And he says, that's really something that we have from a tradition. So that's interesting that they have chenek, even though they don't seem to have the type of traditions that we have. What Elda told you about the Sambation River is emes. Our teachers, our rabbis have told us that. And we have a tradition that in so many ways Elda describes a different type of Judaism. That shouldn't bother you so much. Because Kodam Bias Avosenu will Aritz Kanan, Hamnis Asku Bimuchamis. Semach says that really the idea of it is it has occurred even in our own history. True, we believe that Torah Shabalpeh started from Moshe Yeshua and was unbroken, but it wasn't necessarily known and studied by everyone in Israel. They were involved in 14 years of battle and fighting. And many of the locals of Torah Shabalpeh were forgotten, even though Yahushua kept on teaching them. As we know, the Talmud tells us that after Moshe died, they had doubts. Well, the same way they had doubts because of those 30 days of Moshe's death, those doubts continued as the Jewish people became more of a a sedentary nation in in their land. Many of the details of Torah Shabbat, it's not surprising, were lost. Now, there was two tribes, Semach says, that were strong in Torah and kept the Torah Shabbat in their learning. And that, he says, was Yehuda and Benjamin. And therefore, you shouldn't be surprised when he's telling you that they live a life and many of the things they do don't align with our laws, the way we do things, because that was the way things were historically when the first commonwealth was being settled by the original entry, the ones who entered into the land in the time of Yeshua. He says, Vi'al titamu al ashinui. You shouldn't be so surprised that you heard from Rav Eldod. We find other differences, even afterwards, between Chachmei Bavel and Chachmei Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, the fact that these they're living there, and there's so many differences in their style of Judaism, that shouldn't be so surprising. The same way you, you expect two Chachamim who are sitting to understand one Pasik or a Mishnah. One says one way, even if we're not even talking about something in tradition, we're talking about a, an actual explicit verse. You could have a very different interpretation. 
between the Babylonian look on it and the way Eretz Yisrael looks on it. And we know even in terms of the tradition of how to write the letters, in terms of how to read the letters. For sure, there should be going to be differences in terms of the Torah of Alpeh, the Mishnah, that it's Dover, that's Muster, Omuk, Omuk, Miyuchalenu. So it's possible that Eldad and his people, they're all Shogagin. They've had difficult times. They might describe their life as living high on the hog in this beautiful land of Kush. But it definitely was difficult, the Torah HaDerech, and that could obviously cause difficulty. And maybe some of the things he's telling you aren't exempt our traditions. Our traditions are probably the ones to hold on to. But if there's things you can use from Eldad's halachos, perhaps those have some positive aspect to them. And throughout our history, Eldad's halachos of Shechita have been quoted by the Balayatosvos, by the Rishonim. By the later, uh, early Achronim, the Sefer Ogur, they mention Hilcho Shechita of Eldad. It's incredible. Who was he? And I have to tell you that uh, what I read to you, this tshuva from Reb Tzemach, many believe that this whole thing is a fabrication. Many believe that 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 Eldad stories of how the tribes settled in Ethiopia and how where the rest of the lost tribes are, that some of them there are south of Ethiopia, near the, the Yemen coast, that all of that is really a confabulation. And it's not true. Some believe that he was just a, a teller of tales, a Baron Munchausen. Gratz, in his history, uh, spends a number of pages indicating that he was a charlatan. Uh, there is a theory that Gratz talks about and others that he was actually a Karite uh, who was inventing these stories uh, to, cause a, to cause a splintering among the Jews to make to, to give the idea that there isn't truly really this unbroken tradition. What better way, remember the, the Karite said that the rabbis were the ones, the rabbinic Jews were the ones who were inventive. They were the ones who were more true. Although, you know, Anand said, well, the next generation can reject what I'm saying. But the Karite still felt that the rabbinic Jews, the Perushim, the ones who were being mafarish the Torah with Torah Shabbat, were not did not have fealty to the to the to the words of the Torah, and made up things as they wanted, and then claimed that they were ironclad. What better way to cause chaos than to have somebody coming from outside with these stories indicating that the Masora is quite splintered and quite broken up? Um, it's it is really incredible, and the reason why I wanted to talk about the book of Eldad, and this is only one version and one edition, is that Eldad's story uh, was in the fact that it received so much of a embrace in corners of Judaism 
led to one of the most uh, dramatic and I would say courageous psalkim of the 20th century. And that was to bring, not only to bring the Jews out of Ethiopia, to bring the the group that was known as the Chavashim or the Falashis, the ones that were the immigrants, and to bring them to uh, to Eretz Yisrael, but to actually not demand from them that they go through a conversion process. And we can see this in the Psokim that were issued at the time. The Psokim that were issued in the time by the two chief rabbis, by Chocham Avad Yosef and by Roshul Magoran. Both of them make use of Sefer Eldad as proof that these Jews are Jews. It is really an amazing thing because in the 19th century, when globalization was basically taking place, people uh, went to these countries. They, they traveled to these lands. They traveled to Ethiopia. They found these tribes. They started doing their research. And this for, for decades and decades, there was questions as to are they really the ten tribes that have disappeared? Are they really in their genealogy? Now, what's fascinating is that um, genetic work that has been done in the last 25 years to the Ethiopian Jews has shown genetic markers that indicate that they are from the same genetic line of, of what we would call the original Jews and the Semites. But before genetic evidence, there was a tremendous amount of skepticism about this. And if you look in some of the 19th century scholarly works, I would say, especially, uh, if you, not even Gratz, but Yaakov Reifman and others, who were known as serious scholars, uh, they talk about the contradictory and some ridiculous aspects of this book. Uh, even Avram Epstein, uh, who was one of the most important uh, uh, scholars in this area, who wrote the definitive edition of Eldor Adoni with all notes, copious on all the halachas of Shrita and other things that Eldor did, um, admits that the desire to believe in the, the, the ten tribes' status, to believe that they're there, to believe that we can recover them, uh, cause people to lose what we would call today uh, a certain amount of empirical objectivity. Yes, yes, we finally found them. We know where they are. Let's go get them back. The students of the Vilna Gon who came to Eretz Yisrael as well um, wanted uh, to, one of their jobs, they felt, was not only to, uh, to uh, populate the land and to work the land and 
as Rabbi Nachum Kasher has pointed out in the famous Kohator manuscripts, that to actually work the land and not and to stop taking money from um, you know from the Chalukah, but also to go establish a, a a sort of a beachfront in Eretz Yisrael, from which to now call the ten tribes back in order for the Geula to happen. And the book El Doradoni was used as as proof to the students of the Vilna Gon that the task is possible and achievable. And we actually do have letters that were sent in that regard. I'm happy to state that Rappaport's good friend, sometimes I would say a frenemy from Italy, who's always mentioned with Rappaport in the same breath because of the beautiful correspondence that exists between them, Shmuel David Lutzato, has a footnote here in the history of research into the Ethiopian Jews. Shmuel David Lutzato uh, was working on what he felt to be a definitive explanation and almost a scientific uh, um, application of Unculus. He had found a, a medieval tr- uh, in- manuscript that was a beer on Unculus, which he calls Sefer Ya'ar. And he also wanted to put out a, um, a, uh, a beer on Unculus that aligned that Targum with many of the other languages that were prevalent in that in Eretz Yisrael at the time that Unculus was written. The name of the uh, work that he wrote on Unculus is called Ohevger. At the time he wrote that work, his wife was pregnant with their son. And therefore, when his son was born, he named his son after the Torah work that he had been writing. So his son is Philonexius Lutzato, otherwise known as Ohevger Lutzato. I don't know if any other uh, Jewish people have that name, but it, you've heard of Neshama Karlbach, Lutzato Shadal, the, this, this, one of the most important parshonim of Mikra of the 19th century. Um, scholar extraordinaire, Balregish extraordinaire, poet in his own right, um, Rosh Hashiva of a small school in Padua, distant cousin of Ramosha Chaim Lutzato. Uh, son was Oevger Lutzato. I always love this idea that you name your child after the book that you were writing. Two acts of creation. His son was Oevger Lutzato. Oevger died young, unfortunately. He died as a, 20, a 25-year-old boy. Um, Oev Ger lived in the beginning of in the, the first period of the 19th century when these travelers were going to Africa and he had a burning desire to connect to the Jews that he'd heard about that were living as tribesmen in Africa. Oev Ger uh, connected to the French brothers Anton and Arnold Dabadi, Dabadi, 
Oev Geir wrote to Anton and said, you've discovered the tribal leader of the Ethiopians. His name is Kohen Abba Yitzchak. He's the Kohen Godel of that group. I'm, 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 this is a letter that I'm writing him. Um, it, it took um, two and a half years to get a response for that letter. Activities as a young man uh, came to the attention of his father, Shmuel David. And Shmuel David decided that perhaps if Abba Cohen, who the assumption was could read Hebrew, although his flock could not, I'm sorry, the Abba Yitzchok could read Hebrew, though his flock could not, Shadal wrote him a letter. We have a copy of Shadal's letter. You are the, the patron, the father, the teacher of our brothers who live in Ethiopia. Besimcha Rabba, we've heard that the Bnei Yaakov are there and they're keeping Torah's Moshe, the Torah's Moshe of God. But all we've heard is generally from non-Jewish travelers. And we, we haven't heard what they've said. Again, this is, this is we're talking about a thousand years almost after uh, Eldad. Therefore, I am just a poor person, Shmuel David. I'm in Italy. I'm in Padua. I teach the Torah of God. I also am sort of a father and a teacher to young students who go out to teach after they learn from me. I therefore appeal to you in this letter, and I want you to do me this favor to enlighten me and to answer. First of all, I want to know about this term, falasha. What does it mean? Well, it actually means an immigrant. Also, what is your tradition? When did you come? Now, we know what Eldad said. Eldad said that they came, the first wave came at the time of Yerovam. We'll see what Abba Kohen says, Abba Yitzchok says, Abba Yitzchok HaKohen. The third thing I'll say is, was there only one exodus? Or did you come in different times? And was it, was it, a, 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 was it in a, was it a, a, a small amount, a large amount? How did you all get there? Also, although we've heard that you that from and it's based on Eldot, of course, that you were kings. Do you really have sovereignty there? And if you don't, when did you lose it? Is there a place that perhaps, despite what we know is the sovereignty of others, that you have autonomy? Do you get along with the Goyim that you're around with? Do they care for you? Also, what is the language that you speak? Now, if we go back to the work of Eldad a thousand years earlier, according to the Anche Karon, Eldad spoke a Hebrew language, almost a pure Lushna Kodesh language. Shadal, a thousand years later, asks the leader of that area in Ethiopia, is it Lushna Kodesh? Or maybe it's something else. The best thing you can do for me is to write a paragraph, perhaps, in the two languages. Write it in Lashon HaKodesh, which I, you seem to, to know, and then 
translate it to your language. Also, the sixth question. When a child is born, when is it that you take his foreskin off? Is it true what I've heard that the girls also have a form of circumcision? We, of course, know that this happens to a lot of African girls. Um, also, do you have 12 months? What are their names? How many days are there in each month? Are your months and years always equal? Are some years longer than others? What are your holidays? What are your fast days? What are they based on? Do you have the Torah and Avim Exuvim? Are they at least in their original language? How many books have you separated them into? Are there any other books that you have? What names are they? Do you have books of prayer? To, 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 to be able to give your words out in front of our God. Do you believe like we do in a Messiah who is going to bring back all those that have been scattered from all the four corners of the earth and bring us back to Eretz Avaseinu Admas HaKodesh? Also, is there other groups that are Jewish groups that maybe are not Falasha? And these other groups do you share a belief system with them? Please answer me to these 12 questions, Lutzato says. And please give the letter to the person who is bringing you this letter. And I, Hineni Muchan Lisharsacha, Lasos Hatov Beinecha, Bacholashar Timatsayodi. Velehe Yisrael Yivarachoscha, Veskol Yisrael Hayoshvim Viartsecha. God should bless you and keep you forever. Amen. These are the words of the person who wants only your good, who writes today in Italy, on this fourth day of Sivan, in the year 5,607, to the creation of the world, according to our records. Shmuel Beautiful letter from Shadal. Abba Yitzchak does not answer the letter. He does answer finally Shadal's son's letter, which was sent earlier. Shadal's son basically asks him pretty much the same questions that his father did. Uh, he was here's the answers that Abba writes. Yirmiya is when we got here to. Um, Ethiopia. Not like Eldad. We came here at the time of Yirmiya, which means at the time of the Chorban of the first Beis HaMikdash. Um, we know that there is a tradition that some came um, at the time of Shlomo, that we are somehow connected to, to the Queen of Sheba. Um, but then he says that many of, right? First he says, we came by Yirmiya. And then he says, we came definitely in the time of Shlomo. 
So the answer, as you can see, is sort of contradictory. This Abi Yitzchak says, we'd love to be connected to you to cross the to cross the ocean. But we can't. Because crossing the ocean means we can't keep Shabbos. And not because of Sambation, which is sort of what you heard from Eldad. The reason is, is because boats that we know exist that could cross the ocean, they will work on Shabbos. And how can we come to you if we have to be Machal Shabbos to get there? We never had kings, although we had dukes. We had people that were like governors, but we never really had kings in Ethiopia. He mentions a number of uh, of their tzaddikim who died uh, as martyrs. He says, our history is not written down. In fact, we don't even have a, a, a uh, an Aron Kodesh that we build in order to keep our Torah. We have a book of our months, and there are basically 12, sometimes a 13th. And he gives their names, Maskiram, Tikmit, Hidar, Tasas, Tir, Yoktit, Magbit, Ginboit. These are some of the months. Then he mentions that the main month is called Nasnesan, and that is the month that we crossed the Red Sea. We crossed the Red Sea on the 14th of Nisan. On the day after that, you can't see the moon anymore. We fast. So they fast what we call the first day of Pesach. They fast. Because it says that the, in the Bible, it says, Shamarnu Ayareach. Of course, it doesn't say that. It says, Shmartem Eschodesh Aviv, which they say meant, watch the moon. Meaning being very careful about that moon. Now, not the new moon, but when the moon is full. Or when the moon starts to turn and become smaller. That's what they say is the day you need to watch the moon, which means on the 15th of the month, you have to fast. Now, even though there is no base on Mikdash, they brought and slaughtered an animal, which they called a korban, on the 14th of their Nasan. And the next day, after the fast, they eat matzah for seven days. Fifty days later, they have a day they call Chag Hamayar, which is about Shavuos, is about accepting the Torah. The twelfth of every month, they said, is is Michoel Day. And the fifteenth of every month is also a special day. It's called the Chag for the Aron. A number of other interesting things here about um, uh, the first day of the seventh month. We call that Rosh Hashanah. They call it Matka, from the word Tokea, a day of blowing. But not a day of blowing, but a day of using a tambourine. So I'm not sure if they had a chauffeur or, or some sort of music that they had there. Um, ten days later, they call Astrio. Now, we call that Yom Kippur, 
they also consider that a special day, but they consider this a Chag His Galus Ha'el Yaakov. So it's the day, the 10th of Tishrei, which they don't call Tishrei, that what we call Yom Kippur, which we is the day Moshe came down with the Luchos, Ashnios, and gave Kapara. They see that as the day that God revealed himself to Yaakov at, on the ladder. That is what Yom, that is what Yom Kippur is to them. The five days later, they call it Sukkot as well. Um, to eat chametz during those seven days, we need to kill him. Their tradition is that you should kill him. But because they don't have kings anymore, they can't for they can't kill him, but they force him to bring a goat. On the month of Yaktit, which is what we would call El, uh, on the 18th, which is by the way the Balshemtov's, supposedly the Balshemtov's birthday, uh, they call that the Chagazikaron, that to remember Avram Yitzhak Yaakov that died on that day. So they have a tradition, the yard site of Avram Yitzhak Yaakov is on the 18th of El. We believe that we're not in the year. 57, uh, 56, uh, 48, but we're in the year 6,840. So their their years were about, they added about 1,000, 1,200 years to our calendar. They also mention how they add, every four years, they add an extra month in order that you should have the the, the cal- calculations the same that we have in order that the calendar should work and that Pesach should come out and the- we don't have the we don't have the citron and therefore we can't fulfill the mitzvah we do have palm leaves but we don't have what you have we take a different type of branches to represent the uh, hadasim and aravos. He says, I personally know about this mitzvah that you do, but we can't fulfill it. Um, Now, you want to know about our mezuzah. We don't have, uh, what we do is we write our mitzvahs down on the gates of our temples, but we know that the water of the rains (laughs) come and uh, basically erase them. We don't have any books in the Hebrew language. We have books that are the translations in our mind of these books. The book of Horatius is called Lidas. The book of, which is, means the book of X, they actually call it Sa'as, which means to leave, which we call Exodus. Vayikra, they call Lavayin, which sounds like the book of the Levium. I don't know what word they mean here, Hilki, Dagim. This is all the Gaza language that the Ethiopians spoke, which did have similarities to Arabic. Um, many of the names are the same, like Isra. They also, interestingly, keep the book of the Maccabees, although, as he says, we don't keep 
the holiday of the Maccabees, although we have that book. Now, all of this is fascinating. It's incredible. There was such a disconnect. And I want to read to you what their request was, what Abba Yitzchak HaKohen's request was. It breaks your heart when you hear it. They're poor. The one who's really on top of us is a Christian. We don't really own property. However, our belief is a true belief. If you think we're missing something, send us something that you believe is essential for our belief. By the way, when they talk about Mashiach, they have a name for their Theodorus is our Mashiach, Theodore. He comes from David. And he's going to be born somewhere near the Euphrates River, a day and a half from Yerushalayim. And his, his ancestors left Zion in the days of Shalmanasar. Has none of you Jews come? Why have none of our brethren come? If you come, you can come see our, our mosque. You can come and see our shul, our mosque. We know the Torah came from Yerushalayim. So we will honor you. We will be so happy to hear from you. We beg you. We're Meschanin. Send us someone. Many of our shuls, many of our temples have been, have been reduced to rubble. Send us someone. Send us some money. Send us tzedakah. We all wait for Theodorus, the Mashiach. So, this is one of his statements. Theodore Herzl. <laughs> Very good. Very good. <laughs> Theodorus. I wonder, you know, you read this and you read about Eldad and we think again about the, the gumption, the energy, what took the, the state of Israel to bring these people, to bring them in, in incredible uh, journeys with in a way that that was fantastic that was risking lives in order to save lives people put their own life in danger in order to bring these people to Eretz Yisrael I want to read to you uh, Rav Moshe's Psak Rav Moshe wrote this towards the end of his life in 1984 on the 26th of Sivan. He says, I've, I wrote you before about the Falashas. Um, the Radvaz already quoted the book of Eldad to show that the Jews that came from there consider themselves Jews. The Radvaz felt they were Jews. But Rav Moshe says it's hard to be so mech on that. Did the Radvaz really know about them? And maybe since the Radvaz's time in the 16th century, maybe things have changed in the 400 years. However, I do not believe that bringing them to us is a problem of Jews with Mamzeris. Why? 
That's what the Ravaz was worried about. The Ravaz was worried about that they didn't keep the laws of Gitin. And therefore, many of the children were, who had came from a second marriage, it was not truly a second marriage because they didn't write a proper divorce document. And therefore, in the second marriage, those children would still be considered, they would be considered mamzerim. The Rav, Rav Moshe says that because it's all a question of doubt, we have the right halakhically to disregard that issue. However, Rav Moshe says, about them being Jews, I believe we have to consider him doubtful Jews. And therefore, I would say that the ones that come, they need to be, they need to go through proper conversion before we allow them. However, even before they are converted, we need to stop them from being affected either by shmad, of being turned into complete total Christians, or in terms of endangering their lives. We have to treat them. Why? Because they, it's a suffix whether they're Jews or not. Well, if there's a suffix whether there's a Jew under the pile of rubble, you do what you can on Shabbos to lift that pile of rubble. Suffix nefoshes l'hokel. Even though the suffix is whether they're Jews or not. Gam yeshlida, you need to know. And this is beautiful. Shafil im ladina enam yehudim. Even if they are not truly Jews, mikol makom, since they say they are, and we know from the reports about them that they're willing to die for what they say is their religion, then you have to save them. If someone who you even know is not a Jew, but feels he's a Jew, and is willing to die for being Jewish, then Rav Moshe says, an incredible chidush, that you save him and you're Machal Shabbos for him and you do whatever you can to save him. Because basically, true, he doesn't know, but he believes he is. And since he believes he is, and he was willing to die for that belief, then we need to respond to that. Now, however, you need to create a situation where they will go through conversion when they go in they get to Israel. Why? Because if that doesn't happen, then there's going to be a problem of them mixing in to the rest of the population. Now, I heard that many of them are converting. And of course, once that happens, they have to be treated like total Jews. And obviously we need to help them in all possible ways, spiritually, physically, and he says, I have heard that there are people in Eretz Yisrael today that despite the great efforts that were exerted to bring them are still distancing themselves spiritually from these people, these Ethiopians. And because of that, by their distancing, by their attitude, Rav Moshe says, that is going to cause them to turn away from any chance of living like a Jew. Why is that, Rav Moshe says? He believes it's because of what we would call today racism. It's because they're dark. Because they're dark, 
That's the reason why that attitude has developed. Pashat, sheyesh lekarvam. He says, of course, we have to do everything to love them, to bring them close to us. They are no worse than any Jew. There's no difference one iota about the fat from the fact that their skin is of a different color. And even more so, they might truly be Gairim, meaning if they weren't Jewish and now we've converted them, we have a special mitzvah to love them. In other words, they have to have Gairis Misophic. And on the Tzad, they weren't Jews, like many of the 19th century ethnographer, um, uh, historians, sociologists wanted to say that they came and they don't really have the, the, the pedigree. Okay, so now they're Jews, though. Now we can they convert. Now there's a special mitzvah of loving them, and he says that just like Lutzato before him, and like Abba Yitzchak Hakohen, that hopefully this will all bring Mashiach this type of schus of dealing with the uh, Ethiopian Jews this way again. Chochamavadia, and I, I heard recently that this was impressed on Chochamavadia by Begin to do whatever we can not to tell them that they had to have Gerus, that it was it was crucial that that wasn't the case. The um, and that was the psak of. that the Falashim are definitely the descendants of Jews, as we know from the Sefer Eldad Hadoni. So, I think especially as tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day, when we talk about the contributions of our African brethren and what they have taught us and what type of sensitivity we need to have, I think it's important that we take the time to recognize our the debt that we owe, of course, to Eldad and the others who who made us aware, and the spirit of Shadal and Ramesha and Chochamavadya in terms of the type of Ava and Kesher we need to have towards towards our, our really these people who who in many ways are our are, are true brothers. Whether again, whether they are, as Ramosha says, they are willing to die for their identity, then that already binds them with us. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.